All right, well, a very special day that we devote every single year as we honor our mothers. And so to all of you who are mothers who are listening out there, we just want to wish you a very happy Mother's Day and to let you know just how extraordinarily special you are to each and to every one of us. And as always, for all of the others who tend to experience Mother's Day as a dark day, who are encountering all of the ghosts of not-so-pleasant memories from childhood or from miscarriages or from empty chairs at the family table, our hearts go out to you this morning. And we want to let you know that you also are extremely special and beloved to us as well. Now, I imagine that just about everyone who's ever been a mother has handed down some kind of advice to their children. What jumps out in my mind is something that my mother had instilled in my brother and I's minds at a very, very young age, where she had sat us down and and she had said that, I don't care how big you get, if I ever hear about you going out getting drunk or smoking cigarettes, I don't care if I have to climb up a ladder just to look you in the eye, I will find you and I will hunt you down and I will get you. And... That was advice that I went ahead and I took to this day. <laughs> you know? And, you know, there are a lot of um, expressions and phrases that, that are commonplace as it pertains to, you know, to mothers. I don't know if any of these are going to ring any bells for you, but I brought you into this world and, yeah, I can take you out of the world just like that. Or how about this one? If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? Well, for just one week, I would like to have a detour from our Big Question series, and I would like to spend just just one Sunday morning in John chapter 2. We're going to be in John chapter 2 if you would like to read along. We're going to begin in in verse 1 there in John 2. And, of course, what is happening here in John John chapter 2 is that this is very early in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, it is at the very start of his earthly ministry. And what we're about to read is that incident where, where we find Jesus walking into a wedding with his mother. John chapter 2 and starting at verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, it says the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And you know, I just find it so unfortunate how the grandeur of the very first miracle we find Jesus doing and performing so oftentimes is hijacked by this debate about alcohol and about Christians. Where a lot of people read John chapter 2 and all that they walk away from it with is, well, Jesus made wine, Jesus drank wine, but for us in the world and in the church of today, we should not drink wine. And in fact, if you do, it's a sin. Now, there are other people whose reaction to John chapter 2 and all that they walk away with is the exact opposite of that, where it's, okay, Jesus clearly made wine here. As we read elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus drank wine. And so what this means is that everybody should drink wine, no matter what has happened in their past. 
and I mean, that is not at all what John chapter 2 is about. And as it pertains to alcohol, Scripture warns against drunkenness. And yet it also says in the book of Psalms that, that wine gladdens the heart. There had been an expression amongst the ancient rabbis that, that when the wine runs out, then there is no more joy. And I mean, we can take anything that is good and we can abuse it and make it bad. I mean, how many times have we seen, seen it proven to us that, I mean, you can even take the Bible and abuse that and use it in all kinds of destructive ways that never should have ever occurred. In any case, that is not a rabbit that I would like to chase this morning at all. But rather, all that I want to, to look at and to speak about is what we find in verse 5. Where John chapter 2 and verse 5, what Mary says to the servants. Verse 5 says that his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, Mary says, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, Mary did not know this in, in that moment as she says this. But Mary has just given the absolute greatest advice that a mother or anybody else could ever possibly give. That whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And it reminds me so much of an ad campaign that, that had happened in the late 80s, maybe, maybe um, in the early 1990s, where you had Nike trying to come up with, with some campaign slogan that would deliver the message something along the lines of, of how triumph and victory and success is not just handed to us. We don't just happen upon it by, by accident or by happenstance. But rather, if you want to be successful or to win at something in life, you've got to go out every single day and to commit 100% of yourself to that. And what they came up with was just three very simple words, and yet it is absolutely incredible. And it is, is a brilliant ad campaign where it was what? Just do it. And in so many ways, this is what Mary is expressing to these servants. That whatever you hear Jesus say is going to be life-changing, it's going to be world-altering. And you know, as for, for you and I, as we read the Word of God now, whenever we read those red words, that is to be trusted. As Mary says to the servants, if you do what Jesus says, no matter what it is, it's going to leave you absolutely astounded at what happens before your eyes. And I just wonder what the Christian world would look like. I can't help but wonder what the reputation of the church amongst non-Christians in the world would be. How much stronger it would be if this was our attitude. If this was our mantra and our theme song. That whatever Jesus says to me, I'm going to do it. Luke chapter 6, what we hear Jesus saying there is, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Notice, but do not do what I say. John chapter 14, what we hear Jesus say is that, that if you love me, then you will keep my commands. John chapter, or, or rather James chapter 1, what we hear James saying is that, Be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. 
And so obedience to the words of God has always been absolutely crucial and critical. And yet, though, at the same time, as it pertains to obeying God's words, it is so easy for us to lose our way, isn't it? You know, for a moment, I just want to eliminate a couple of, of misconceptions as it, as it comes to obedience. And I just want to establish that obedience to God's words does not mean that we take every single thing that Jesus said to be literal all the time. Now, as we know, a lot of times Jesus spoke in metaphor. He spoke in hyperbole in order to give what, what he was saying a certain color and a substance to it. I just want to give us a couple of prime examples of this. Where in John chapter 6, we find Christ Jesus speaking to this huge, vast multitude. And what comes out of his mouth there is that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, Jesus says, you have no life in me unless you do. Now, I think we understand exactly all, all the ways Jesus is speaking in a very symbolic way as he says this in a number of ways. But is Jesus saying that you actually literally have to eat my real flesh and to literally drink my actual blood? I mean, obviously not, but I mean, if I had never opened up a Bible before and I were to go to a worship service and I heard somebody read that, that um, scripture, I mean, I would just be looking around like you, I mean, I would be completely weirded out by that. I mean, you you guys were a bunch of cannibals, I guess. And I mean, I, you know, I would have been out the door in, in about eight seconds. See, everything that Jesus says is not to be taken absolutely 100% literal all, all the time. I think about another example as, as in Matthew chapter 28, he, he gives his great commission to his apostles and he says, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. Now, those are true words, and we believe absolutely one of them, but is it completely literal? You see, if this was to be absolutely 100% literal, this would mean that, that every single Christian needs to hop on a plane right now and go to Antarctica and to Chile and to Argentina and to Japan and to Greenland and, and all these countries. But clearly, that is not what Jesus is actually saying there. And so not everything is to be taken 100% literal. He was speaking about that region of the world at the time because we don't see any, any of the apostles going to Japan or to Rio de Janeiro, but rather to that region in that time in the world. And I think another misconception about obedience to God's words is that it, how easy it is for us to obey God and yet to do so for wrong reasons. How many people have you ever known throughout your, your life who, who, who obeyed God's words, but only because they had been shamed into doing so by other people? Maybe we have experienced that in our own lives as we ourselves. How many more people have we known who would obey God's words, but only because it was in a begrudging way, so that they could try to earn a mansion in the sky someday in the future. And I think what this 
gives birth to within us is what I like to refer to as have-to Christianity. If we have a have-to Christianity, there is no joy in that. There is, there is no happiness, any peace. But rather, all this is is just drudgery. It is a tedious chore where it is just so exhausting trying to be perfect all the time until, rather inevitably, we just crash and burn as Christians from all of that exhaustion. That is not at all what Jesus is inviting us to, but but rather a life of submission to the words of, of life is this spirit within us where 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 I want to do this, where I get to do this, where I live to do this. It is in my bones to honor God's words in my actions. And you see, until have-to Christianity becomes want-to Christianity and get-to Christianity, we will never enjoy or experience the Christian life. Well, in our text, there are a couple of things I find so interesting that really jump out at me this morning. Now, as John says in this text, up to this point, at least, Jesus had never performed the miracle at any point. As Jesus himself says here in verse 4, he says, my hour has not come. And that largely is in reference to his miracle working. Yet here's what I find to be so interesting, though is that when the wine runs out, Mary enlists the help of Jesus to fix this problem at this party. And she is doing this before she has ever seen Jesus work one single miracle. I mean, isn't that interesting? What I also find to be very interesting is is our main core idea here in verse 5, where what we find Mary saying is, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Notice in the text that how this is before Jesus turned water to wine, or or again, before he performed any miracle. And so, I mean, what does this mean? What this means, as, as Mary makes this statement, is don't merely do what Jesus says, but rather do what he says with a heart full of assurance. As we continue in verse 6, here is what happens when these servants do exactly what Jesus had said to do. Where it says how there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or, or um, 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Again, whatever he says to you, do it. And they filled them up to the brim. And again, he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. Verse 9 says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, notice, now become wine and did not know where it came from. It says, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. He says, but you have kept the good wine until now. Then at last in verse 11, it says, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And then it says, and his disciples had had faith and, and had believed in him. 
never stronger than in this moment as they started following him. And I think another way of expressing what Mary says to the servants in verse 5 is bask in the words of Jesus above all other words and, and all other voices in our lives. Because I think what occurs so often in our lives as Christians and as, and as human beings is that often what our attitude is, is that most of what Jesus said, do it. Or some of what Jesus said, do it. But, but all of the stuff that, that really doesn't come natural to us, you don't really have to worry about honoring that in our lives as much. I mean, how many millions of people are there in the religious world? And I mean, Jesus is standing right here in Mark chapter 16, and he says that whoever believes and, and, and is baptized will be saved. And yet they shake their heads and they say, no, no, that's wrong because my mother was never baptized or I had an uncle or father who said that you don't need to be baptized. I have a minister who would teach that you don't have to be baptized. And so I'll believe, but no, I don't have to be baptized. There are a lot of people, especially nowadays, who, whose attitude is, well, I will get baptized just in case with my fingers crossed, but I was already saved before I went to the waters. And yet, I mean, is that a proper attitude as we listen to our judge, our redeemer speak and, and, and really say anything. I mean, in my mind, it, it's got to go back to Nike. Just do it. Just believe and just be baptized if you want to follow after Jesus. And just do it with a heart full of assurance that, you know, I... I want to bask in the words of Jesus above all other words that there are. I mean, how sad would it be to just go through your entire life in a disagreement with Jesus? And yet, if I could be brutally honest, though, is it not true that we all have our disagreements with Jesus? I think a prime one is, as Jesus says, that the greatest commands is that we love God and that we love other people. And I mean, I can love my wife. I can love mom and dad and, and grandma and grandpa. But wait a minute, Jesus, are you actually even saying and suggesting that I also need to, to love people who have wronged me? Are you saying that this actually applies to, to all these people in the world who I have a strong disharmony and a disagreement with? Are you saying that I actually have to love all these people in the world who, for whatever reason, ethnicity or political party and persuasion, whatever it is that, that I've got a strong aversion to, goes back to Nike again, just do it, right? Just do it. And yet, do it with a heart full of joyous assurance. I think the strongest struggle in my life, as far as all of this goes, is, as Jesus says three times on the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. Do not worry. Oh, and by the way, while you're at it, do not worry. As he says elsewhere, do not let your heart be troubled. 
And yet every single person who is watching this could look at me and say, David, just do it. And do it with a heart full of assurance, knowing that his words and that his presence in your life is to be trusted. And if you do exactly what he says, you will be mesmerized at what he accomplishes in your life. And I just find it so amazing how in our text here in John chapter 2, let's notice that it doesn't appear that Jesus even has to to actually reach out and to touch these water pots. He doesn't even approach them, it appears. All that Jesus does is, is he says it. He gives very implicit instructions to the servants. And they act on what he said in a faithful way. And as Jesus turns this water into wine, this is not at all like the temptation he once faced of turning stones into bread. But rather, as he turns the water into wine, what he's doing is he is showing us that now that I am here in this world, walking in this earth, living as a teacher and as a rabbi, I am turning every single thing in this broken down world of yours upside down. Notice there in the text in verses 10 and in verse 11, how this is a time and this is a culture where it was all about hierarchy. Or if you went to a feast or to a banquet, if you were, quote-unquote, a normal person, or especially a very rich luminary, those individuals would receive the very best, and they would be, be served first before anybody else. And then maybe, eventually, maybe an hour and a half, a couple hours later, once, once all of the, the quote-unquote, normal people have, have, have drank and have eaten, then those who were poor have been served the, the absolute very last. And they would receive the very worst and scraps and the leftovers with, with all the dogs outside. You see, this is so significant what Jesus is doing is, is because Jesus is, is saving his very best for the very last, notice. On this day, those who were poor have been served the absolute best that was in that house. But more than anything, what we see is that God's absolute very best is something that is for every single one of us, regardless of where we are economically or on a social ladder. And yet Jesus also turns our water to wine, doesn't he? He takes our water of despair and he, he changes it into the wine of hope. He takes our bitter waters of death and he, and he transforms it into a fountain of everlasting life. He turns our deserts into gardens. He takes that law of Moses that, that for so many years, all 613 of those laws had condemned us. He turned that water into the wine of this gospel of grace that sets us free. He took the water of the old us and, and he now has made the wine of new creations in Christ Jesus who are continuously and perpetually being transformed into the character, into the conduct of Christ Jesus. One tiny microscopic, kaleidoscopic glance at a time. 
Isn't it interesting that one of the descriptions that the Apostle Paul employs as he compares what we are, the analogy that he uses to us as Christians is jars of clay. And I love that as a description of us. And you see, that's because you and I are broken vessels. We are empty water jugs who Jesus Christ got his hands on. And so this morning, I just want to ask you as well as me myself, have you run out of hope this morning? Is your joy, is your faith running dry today? Well, as we've seen in John chapter 2 this morning, as well as as experienced firsthand tens of thousands of times throughout our, our lives as Christians, There is only one who can fill our cup with the very best spiritual wine and grace that there is. Just as Mary did, what I want to invite us to this morning is just simply this. However it looks like in our lives, wherever we are dry in a spiritual connotation, go to Jesus himself with that problem, with those weaknesses with with all of those imperfections and frailties. Sit with Jesus. Let Jesus speak to our anxiety, to our bitterness, to our unforgiveness, to our lack of faith, whatever it might be. And yet lastly, and most importantly of all, do whatever he says to do, but don't just do what he says to do just for the sake of doing it but rather do whatever he says to do with a heart full of a belief that these are not just ordinary words that I'm reading in God's word. These are divine words. This is the very breath of God. My very earliest memory in life was when I was about three or four years old. And I can still hear that tender voice of my mother as she would sing me to sleep every single night with hymns. She would sing, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what he's committed. I remember how she would sing, I know the Lord will find a way for me. If I walk in heaven's light, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will find a way for me. She would sing songs like, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. And I can't tell you how many times that sweet angelic voice has helped me out of incredibly hard and difficult seasons in my life. And yet in retrospect, she may as well have been singing to me all those years ago, Whatever Jesus says, do it. And whatever Jesus says, do it with a heart full of assurance, of belief, and of marveling in the power and in the transformation that awaits us in Christ Jesus.